Hello and welcome to the White Deer Filmmaking Podcast. Uh, my name is Adam. My name's Mark. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Um, we've got an interesting one today. Yeah, I well, I uh, definitely enjoyed recording it. We got into some um, good filmmaking chat there. We did. Uh, a lot of stuff which I was very incapable of contributing to. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I even mentioned this during. I'm, I'm, I was quite stunned by kind of the levels of, uh, well, capability between you two. Um, well, I should probably say it's uh, between you and Justin McAleese, um talking about Justin's film, uh, which you'll, will all, everyone will hear during the interview itself. Um, yeah, really, really good chat actually. And not in not at all the way I expected it to go, but probably for the better, the way it did end up with it being so so professional, I would say. Um, and that might make me sound useless, but um, I, I, maybe in a way of I was kind of blown away by 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 how professional Justin was in his approach to making this film, and that. Came, that comes across really strongly, um, and I think you and him both managed to get get it really into depth about some really nice things within the interview about it, um, and it kind of gives gave me a, a brand new level of appreciation for his uh, film Brick Madness. Um, so, yeah, congratulations to you both, basically, and, <laughs> and well done for you for teasing out a few of the the nice little nuggets there. Well, I think uh, when you find someone as experienced as Justin, um, it's so easy to talk about the uh, the experiences that he's had in his career and um, and over kind of the longish kind of production of his film, um, he's encountered a lot of stuff and has a lot of stories to tell and uh, wisdom to share so um i just think on on that level it's uh, it's a really interesting chat and um uh, shall we get to it yeah enjoy well welcome justin it is absolutely fantastic to have you on the show um how are you doing today i hope you're okay yeah, not bad at all. Happy to Fantastic. be on this show and uh, talk about filmmaking, you know, a little bit of a distraction from the distraction. So the distraction from the distraction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so can you tell us a bit about your film? Obviously, uh, we were thrilled when you approached us because we, we've we um, so far spent most of our time talking to people um, that we've met through our film festival, but you approached us separately to that completely. Um, and when you shared the details of your film um it, i think we, me and adam we both just loved the concept of it so do you mind uh, just telling us uh, about the film you know what it's called and what the premise is uh just anything to put the audience into a bit of context if that's okay yeah absolutely so uh the the name of the movie is brick madness been working on it since 2009 so it's 11 years in the making it is finally being distributed this year in december and uh in the uk as well which is really great um, so yeah, it's uh, the log line, if you will, is, you know, an underdog must defeat the national, the arrogant national bricks champion to reclaim his charity and clear the name of a fallen hero. So basically it's a comedy. It's about a Lego championship in our world. We call them bricks. So it's about the brickathon. And, um, if you've ever seen a Christopher guest movie, a mockumentary, it might have some similar lineage to that. We tried not to ape their style too hard, but, um, we, we it is a it is that sort of idea. We're following around a number of characters. We see some of the crew, the um, the filmmaker himself is part of the process, mm -hmm. and we're basically just in that world. And it was pretty remarkable how we were able to shoot it and put it together because we were able to add real world actual Lego builders at brick conventions. Uh, there's a specific convention here in California called um, in Silicon Valley called Bricks by the Bay. And so we went to that a couple of years and we were able to be on the floor in the convention hall and see all that stuff that was already assembled and also get people that were participating there and sort of feed them an understanding of what our world was all about and say like, okay, here's our characters, here's what they're doing. 
comment on that as if that was your world and as if that was present in this one. And um, so they would go through that and we really got like some incredibly terse and, and, um, and, and insightful uh, character pieces from that stuff just by getting them to be a part of it. And, and I think that really helped us um, legitimize what we were doing too, because then it was part of the world that already existed. It wasn't just a bunch of outsiders coming in and doing it. Um, and then one really cool thing is, um, so the, the head builder on our movie who used to work for me and our, at my video production company, he actually works at Lego now. So he is a master builder at Lego. So we ended up having someone that was like, not only a character in the movie, but an incredible builder in his own right. And then shortly thereafter going to work for Lego. So that's, that's something to, uh, to, you know, to, to hold in our back pocket and be like, Hey, we got, we got the chops. It's, it's worth watching just, just alone for that sort of level of, uh, um, excellence within the field of, uh, Lego building. Mm. Oh, it's, um, yeah, it's just so, um, uh, I think really different, but it's something so familiar to, to a lot of people. Obviously, a lot of people grew up with with Lego uh, growing up. Um, uh, but like with with anything, there is such a world around this real, really. Um, I hesitate to call it this. I mean, this is actually probably quite offensive to the people that that are really into this uh, to this hobby um, and this this. I don't know what you call it. Uh, I mean, wh- the, the way we look at it really is it's an art form, you know, I yeah, mean, and that's, what, that's yeah, the parallel we're trying to draw within yeah. the movie is it's a hobby. Yes. It's a game. Yes. Mm. It's a toy. Yes. It's also an art form. And there's not really a reason to have a divisive discussion about that because when we talk about paints, that's a hobby. When we talk about acrylics or watercolors ah, yeah. or what have you, that's a hobby. It's also obviously an art form. It's also something that people geek out about. You know, anyone within mm. their given field of study for their hobby or whatever it is, they geek out about that thing. And that's totally, mm. that's great. You know, that's what drives their life. That's what they're into. And wow, so yeah. trying to pretend like they, it has to be segmented in that way. And like, that's not, I don't think fair. We're not calling it a sport. We call it a sport within the movie because we actually have competitions. That's not really uh-huh. relevant to what Lego people do at conventions. It's not really competitive in nature most of the time. Um, they have little things here and there, but but it's much more about getting together and having the community and building and feeling like you're a part of a bigger thing of people all expressing themselves through Lego and through bricks. So oh, that's yeah. really what it's about. And if we want to call it geek or nerd or whatever culture, then like, that's fine. But I mean, that's a very accepted sort of place to be in 2022. I think people thrive on that. Oh yeah, a lot. absolutely. And yeah, yeah, so we're trying to double down on that in a lot of ways. I, I think Excellent. it's great. Yeah, no. And it really comes through. Um, one of the things that stood out for me was um, obviously it was just reading the, the material around the film. Um, yeah. The idea that the uh, sorry, I've I've forgotten the the character's name. Um, the the former champion who is yeah, Lomax Grandominion. His his name yeah. is uh, Max Grand within the movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's accused of of gluing the bricks together. Is that Shh, that's correct? Don't even say it out loud. It's so bad. Oh, don't so don't sorry. even don't even say it. It's <laughs> such a terrible terrible thing to befall a competitor. But it's it's such um. It's just so funny, and I think it immediately drags people into this world and how and how serious it is. But absolutely, it is an art form, and um, I I just love seeing that put forward into film. It's it's so it's so cool. It, it is it is um, a documentary of sorts, but also told humorously. And what that's really cool uh, grabs people's attention so much. It's, it's yeah, great. we're trying to live within yeah. the world. We're trying to make it real too. We're trying to like follow the rules of where a camera actually could be (laughs) and like have reasons for them to be actually filming at the time that that happens. I watched uh, dozens of of mockumentaries going into this, like full length features. And some of them, I just couldn't abide by the way that they were doing it. You know, people are walking into locked hotel rooms and the camera's already inside. Mm. And like that stuff just killed me. And so we went above and beyond to try to motivate everything that was happening some of it got cut within the movie you're like okay we don't need that part but like we did do it we did the work and that was really important to us to to make it make sense and not to have to not have a situation where anyone knew something that they shouldn't have known 
just to enable the story to happen. Interesting. Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's a really interesting um, thing that you've mentioned. Obviously, sorry, Adam, I'll uh, just finish um, that idea of making it as motivated as possible. I love that from a from a storyteller. That is, it's so so key. I think. Sorry, Adam. I was just going to say where uh, where did the kind of original idea and concept come from back in two thousand and nine. <laughs> well, it's one of those stupid situations where you're like on a real movie and um, most of the people that uh, participated in this or a lot of them at least were like, hey, we're going to do this thing and it's going to be great because this movie we're on right now is taking way too long. And so right after this is over, we should just get together and make it make our own movie and it'll take like two weeks to shoot and then we'll have a movie and it'll before this one's even done. That didn't work out at all. <laughs> totally backfired. So it was really a genesis of wanting to make a simple, easy, quick to do thing. Um, so who knows? Mm. It, it didn't work out that way. Here we are 11 years later. And we, we did get to do what we wanted, which was get a bunch of really funny people, really entertaining people together and have fun with our friends and make something that I think on screen it, that shows that. It shows that there's like a level of camaraderie and interest within this world, you know, our world of filmmaking and comedy and that world of brick building. So mm. hopefully that, that came across, but yeah, the, the reason we started it was not what, how we thought it was going to turn out, but no, oh well. no, not at all. Well, there, um, there's some yeah. really, um, there's some laugh out loud moments in the, yeah. in the teaser, at yeah. least that, that we've seen. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, I, I think it's, but it didn't feel kind of over the top or like it it was um trying too hard or something i think comedy uh is, is really kind of um it it's not said too much how difficult it is to actually get comedy right and mm. um and and uh, give it heart and give it meaning and everything and um so i th- i think well how, how did you uh how did you kind of make sure that that you achieved that with your with the comedy in it. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I mean, that's something I've strived for my entire career, you know, going back 20 years of trying to make stuff that doesn't try too hard, trying to be honest with the comedy and have it come from the right places. Um, we're not trying to make fun of, you know, this is a mockumentary. And sometimes I think people get caught up on the the mock term as if it applies to the subject rather than applies to the idea of it being a documentary, a mock documentary, rather than a mock of the people in the documentary. So anyway, we were, we were very vitally aware of that, of like not making fun of people um, unless it was, unless we felt like we were in their own group to be able to do that. You know, I can make fun. I can't make fun of your sister, but you can. That sort of situation, we were trying to be inside of that. But also, I'm just dry, you know, in terms of the jokes I like and the way I like to do that stuff. And most of the other people that helped write and helped create it are as well. And so we, you know, I, I, I tell people like, don't ever sell a joke. Don't ever try to sell it. Like, let it be there. Let it, let people come by that joke if they want. Um, so that was one of the guiding forces. And just, you know, what they say, anyone who's really good at comedy, not that I'm claiming we are or anything like that, but anyone who knows comedy knows that, like, you play it straight. You play it as if it's drama. It's just the lines and the situations that are funny. Um, it's the way you sort of approach it shouldn't be any different than anything else. Hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's that's one of our guiding forces for sure. Yeah, that's um, that reminds me, Adam. I don't know if you remember. Uh, we listened to a podcast recently, both me and Adam, um, about uh, the comedian Matt Berry. I don't know if you know him at all, Justin. I don't know if I know Matt Berry. He okay. is he over there or over here? Or? Uh, he, he is. He's in America bit, now. Yeah, he, but he does a lot of it in America. Okay. Yeah, he's on yeah, yeah. Uh, what we do in the shadows. The TV oh yeah, series. yeah, the TV series I haven't seen. I watched the feature, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. familiar with it for sure. Um, but yeah, obviously, uh, if you've seen the film, he plays one of the the vampires uh, in that concept and that mockumentary sure. concept. And he says the exact same thing. Um, and uh, uh, you know about that idea of even though it's comedy, we're not there to say jokes. These are characters that are as real as a drama character would be. It just so happens that they. Um, that the situations that they are put in or that they see themselves end up in are 
quite humorous to the viewer, but they are yeah. as honest as you as and relatable as as they deserve to be. There's no reason why it should be um, forced at all. I think that's the key to, not to force anything because then it it just it feels like it's a joke or it feels like, as you say, someone making fun of it when actually it's an appreciation of a, a, an area of society told in a just in a very well done way um but it's, that's it's the really intent. interesting yeah. yeah i mean that's definitely what we're going for we're trying to have heightened but realistic situations mm. where people mm. are just a little bit more ridiculous or or more um self-serving i mean there's a lot of where the comedy comes from a little bit more um uh, would you say selfish than you would think that would normally work in real life? I mean, that's oftentimes what's funny about those characters. Um, and so they're just going for it in certain situations, especially like Ricky six. He's just so arrogant and so cocky yeah. and so full of himself. And that was always the funniest thing to me was like, dude, you, you play with Lego, you play with toys. Like you're not like, you're not the hero. You're not LeBron James. You're not, you know, uh, David, he, he, you're, you're not a worldwide superstar. No one gives a damn about you. But within your world, you think that you are a worldwide superstar. And so, like, that contrast, uh, that contradiction is always, I think, the funniest thing to me is people with no self-awareness. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah. So a lot of it's playing off of that. And he's got a lot of his own lines. You know, some of them written, some of them aren't. Uh, that's Anthony Taylor and... He was just brilliant at coming up with stuff on the spot that um, that played really well. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's incredible. Um, I'm really curious to to find out a bit more about the kind of it taking a considerable amount of time, um, and the the people that were involved, the cast and the crew members. So, was it the same team throughout that process? Okay. Um, yeah, I would say that it's the same. Yeah. Once we actually started writing in earnest, it was the same people involved in that. And okay, we did yeah. a number of writing weekends. So we got six, eight, 10 people together. And all we did all weekend was like go to restaurants and eat food and write basically. Yeah, and yeah. Um, that was awesome. And we would have basically a stenographer just like write down everything we talked about. And then we, we would take it and then we would refine it and be like, okay, we like these ideas. These fit within our world. And then we would slowly sort of assemble the rest of the script based on those things. So we're writing the scenes around the jokes that we think will fit. We're also writing the scenes around the plot that we need to have, right? Hmm. I'm not super big on, like, there, there were times, and for better or for worse, I don't know, but like, I don't like the idea that most comedies about half or two-thirds of the way through stop being hmm. funny. Like the mm. full, the whole last third of most comedies to me are just like plot stuff and solving, you know, all these things that they had set up the rest of the movie mm. and they lose all the comedy. And that's not why I personally go to a comedy. I personally go to a comedy to laugh the whole time. And mm. a lot of times the plot, it to me gets in the way or it gets real sappy or it becomes a love story. It's about something else entirely. And I don't give a damn about any of that stuff when I'm watching a comedy. If I want that stuff, I'll go watch a drama. That's me personally. And so we tried as much as possible to keep that level of jokes and, and sort of like, what do you want to, just having the comedy go first, come first without having all the other like block and tackle of storytelling get in the way. Um, so I think we could have made the plot more complicated, certainly. And mm -hmm. I didn't think it served what we wanted to do as filmmakers. So that's, that's one thing that um, kept us going, depending on no matter who was involved in it. But um, to get back to your question, like we, uh, who is now my ex-wife, uh, she was the producer and co-writer. And then the other people that are filmmakers within it, the director and some of the other people, um, they were helped write it. And then we would write some of it on set because it is, um, uh, ad lib in nature, improv in nature. Mm -hmm. And we would, um, we had to shoot eight, 10 times. I mean, there was a lot, I literally shot stuff a couple months ago, a month ago, something, some, some final things to like fix it up. But, um, we shot over the course of a number of years in drastically different situations, like all the stuff that is at the convention on the convention floor, we shot at actual Lego conventions. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, and or and then we shot all the competition here in Fresno, totally different place, 
and we just tried to marry the two together to where they seemed like they were all the same situation. Um, so we, and then we shot other stuff that had nothing to do with that in totally different places. And that all sort of fits in there. So yeah, we, for one reason or another, we had to find ways to accomplish things, um, that, that continuity wise in the real world don't make sense at all. But within the movie, I think are totally fine. I don't think you'd ever think about it. So that's what filmmaking is, you know, finding a way to get that stuff done. And, and hopefully the actors, I don't think there's any really situation where the actors like, Oh, that's, clearly three years later that guy looks different or anything like that i think it's pretty well sorted out but um that was a possibility so who knows so did you um did you shoot a bit and then edit a bit and then shoot a bit more and then edit a bit more was it was it kind of like uh production and post-production were kind of going on at the same time or did yeah you definitely kind of wait till you had everything <clears throat> no he tried to do as much as i could you know i was the i did I guess, I guess 100% of the editing of the actual feature. So I was editing whenever I could. I have a video production company with my partner, Blake Barnett, and we're doing that full time. And so, you know, it's one of those situations where you're like, I'm enabling myself to be a filmmaker on my own film because I have a video production company. I have all that stuff at my disposal, that experience, the people, all that stuff. But you're also doing your day job and then going back at night and doing the other job, which is the exact same thing. So... Sometimes that was rough for sure, just like motivation wise, even though it was a totally different project to work on and I loved working on it. It was just a lot. It's just a ton of stuff to do. So we shot, um, I tried to edit as much as I could whenever I had a chance. We had basically, I would say 99.9 of the script was figured out before we started shooting. So none of that stuff changed. It wasn't like we shot and then realized how the edit was working and then went back and changed stuff or reshot or did stuff like that. It wasn't any of that. It was like just waiting to the next time to where we could shoot again. Um, but it was all predetermined essentially what we were going to do. We just had to wait to the time to do it or get more money to be able to do it, you know, to be able to pay for it too. So that, that's cool how you, you didn't need to uh, kind of adapt things and, and change things. Um, I guess that's testament to the planning that, went on in the early stages that you that it uh, you weren't just kind of figuring it out as you go along I guess though you've uh, you're experienced in um, kind of uh, commercial video production so you that comes from experience that kind of stuff how long have you been in um, video production yeah I've been doing video production since uh, to 1998 basically so over 20 years I've been doing that um, that was when I was at as you guys would say at university um, doing that uh, graduated in 2001 and was, you know I've been a professional videographer in one way or another since then for sure what um, kind of projects do you work on in that side of your work yeah, lots of stuff. I mean, a lot of corporate videos, a lot of um, talking heads with uh, B-roll sort of stuff. We also do a ton of commercials. Sometimes I'm a DP. Sometimes I'm a director. We do a lot of music videos, other feature films, short films, stuff like that. So there's a variety of projects that we work on. And that's really been great because I think we can be um, multidisciplinary and, and approach it in different ways. And, and hopefully our other projects, you know, uh, I think there's a I think there's a way to incorporate the styles that you would do in a vastly different genre into say a corporate video and have it a little bit better because of it. So we try to do those things and try to um, try to be broad in what we have, uh, attempt to do. And and the thing too is I think you can get sort of um, you can you can run out of uh, inspiration if you're just doing the same thing all the time. So that's one thing that we try to prevent by doing it that way. Uh, yeah i think we uh well we we uh what will probably be two or three weeks ago when when this goes out we um we just interviewed another team as well from the uk that um that are in a in a similar kind of boat to you with uh that they they are um a team of people that that do corporate video uh, at the same time and because of that allowed that to kind of help their um, narrative filmmaking they just made a short film um and uh and they were similarly saying that they were kind of uh in the same office kind of thing whilst whilst they were editing so the director was there whilst the editor was uh editing and even in pre-production 
they were there they were together at the same time so they they could um they could just have a little conversation uh, when something popped into their heads to to kind of further the production and i guess that's uh, probably the kind of thing that you had as well like uh, going to the the fact of you saying about it being a bit non-stop as well that it's um maybe a little hard to escape but i guess uh that's the life of a filmmaker but how's it kind of feel now that uh, the 11 years have kind of come to a conclusion and um the film is is coming out <laughs> yeah um it feels great it felt really great because we had um you know uh, these delays are mainly my fault in one way or another and me trying to get as big of a distribution plan as we can get and get it to see and get it seen by the most amount of people and all those sorts of situations so you know the the landscape has changed so much so dramatically in the last five, 10, two years, um, that that sort of, I, I sort of took a wait and see, um, uh, approach to some things that in retrospect, I probably shouldn't have. So point being that it is really great. It was really great two years ago when we did, um, sort of, a, a theatrical, uh, premiere here in Fresno, California. So we showed it a couple times here and that was awesome. And that was like, in my opinion, highly successful, um, and so this is the next version of that. This is when we get to unleash it to the world and hopefully the world likes it, um, and get some press. I mean, it's just incredibly hard. And that's why I think people like you for doing this sort of thing, hopefully another couple of people can, um, watch it, listen to this podcast and hear about it and be like, ah, oh, that sounds like an interesting movie. Maybe I'll pitch in my 10 bucks and see what it's all about. Um, so, so yeah, I, I would say that, you know, when it comes to video production, I never believe the thing is going to happen until I'm on the plane and we're actually headed there. You know, I mean, there's just a lot of things. I mean, literally last week we were two minutes away from set and someone calls us and be like, Hey, we can't do it today. Cause and I'm like, no, 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 we're going to do it today. We're already here. We just drove three hours. Um, so it's like point being, I, I want to wait till the week after two weeks after a month after and like, see if people are actually watching it. Cause you know, if I put it out there, and it's done. And the movie, in my opinion, is great. And everyone likes it. Um, who made it? Okay. Who cares? Like if no one's watching it and no one is giving you feedback and, and you're not making, you're not paying back your investors or any of that stuff, then like sort of what's the point of that? Like anyone can sit in a room and like what they did, but the world has mm. to see it and the world has to care. So I would say that uh, there's relief, but there's also a lot of, you know, tentative trepidation over that situation as well. Yeah. I think you've got to, uh, be at, at peace with the fact that you and the team like it, and that and that's one thing. And then bringing it out to um, to everyone else that's uh, that's a completely uh, a complete other ball game. And um, you uh, you don't really have control over that as such, though. So um, that's I think that's a big debate in in terms of um, uh, actors. And I, I've definitely heard. Uh, Matthew McConaughey saying his opinion on the on that kind of thing that if that his his involvement in the film is is kind of on set um so he tries to take enjoyment from there from then and there kind of on set and then uh and then after that it doesn't matter too much what happens to it um if it's a hit or if it's a flop but uh but there is thought to say um that that's Matthew McConaughey saying that. So uh, he's not relying on a film being a success because his next one probably is going to be a big blockbuster. So um, it's a kind of, it's a delicate thing at uh, at kind of this level of, of filmmaking, I think, where you're kind of like trying to get known and, um, and get your name out there and, and get onto the next project. Obviously, we all want this current one to be a success. So... It's yeah. a delicate balance currently. There's absolutely some wisdom in that. I mean, I can't control what the audience does, obviously, and I I shouldn't be basing what um, the value I got from the project off of how they respond to it. I think that's a fool's errand. Um, I think more importantly, it's like putting it in its best light, having enough people have the opportunity to see it and like it and doing the due diligence that I have to bring to the table to make sure that it's just marketed as much as it, you know, within an inch of its life, like getting it out there. Um, and then if people say it sucks, like, okay, 
it's not for you, no problem, get it. I'll do better next time. That's totally fair. Um, and you know, to speak to your point of, of what Matthew McConaughey would say, it's like, yeah, the, some of the most fulfilling moments of my life were on set making this movie and being there with all my friends and like come problem solving and just making stuff that I, I really felt was just hilarious and, and heartfelt and important within that world and something that was, you know, really captured what we wanted to do. So yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what you got and that's what you walk home with. And you're like, we did a thing and then eventually we put it on its best, uh, its best foot forward to be able to be a success in the marketplace. And that's all you can do. Um, yeah. And you know, if people don't like it, that's, that's what it is. It's fine. You don't make movies for other people. I mean, you can't, that's impossible. You can't make any art for other people. You have to make it for yourself. So yeah. as long as you did a good job of that, then that's pretty much all you can do. Mm. Can you uh, talk about the distribution and, and where it's uh, going currently, or, or are you not able to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, Little Sister Entertainment is who we're going through, and that's a sort of an upstart distribution company, but they're doing a great job of getting, getting that out there to outlets and being able to help it be a success. Um, <clears throat> that's Jenica and Mark at uh, Little Sister. And they had, um, they, they, Jenica specifically had, had some other roles within the movie, I would say, um, while we were actually doing it. So that's great. And I'm super psyched about how that's working out in the partnership there. Um, well, you know, we are focusing on Prime. We're focusing on Amazon at this point and on DVD and Blu-ray sales. So we have a, being the type of movie it is, we have some really what I think are fun and exciting options to buy the movie on Blu-ray with um, we call it the Brickmaster edition. So it has a variety of other, you know, what you would think of as a loot crate or something like that. Other fun stuff that goes along with it. We have um, collector's cards for the characters that we made. We have um, some other like Lego centric or brick centric things that are within the movie that I think would be fun for anyone that's into that stuff. Um, so we put together a really fun package in terms of that. We did, you know, all the other, if you're going to buy a disc, then you're going to get the behind the scenes and you're going to get some of the other making of stuff that we did as well. So that's really what we're focused on is trying to get back to that. I, I personally too have a lot of problems with like the quality of streaming a lot of times and sort of sync issues as you're watching it or the, especially if you're watching a horror movie, it's like the, the blacks just don't hold up and you see all this posterization and you see a lot of, um, you know, macro blocking and all sorts of problems. And I, I think we've really taken two steps, you know, one step forward, two steps back and a lot of that stuff. And it sort of tears at me. <laughs> the, the modern viewing experience of a streamed movie on a 240 hertz screen with the sharpening and contrast and all that stuff turned up and everything is just the poster child of degradation makes me sad. And that's <laughs> what we have these days. So that's another um, area where uh, we don't have control of uh, with filmmakers uh, to some extent. People's TVs. <laughs> Do you yeah. find yourself going around to people's houses and, and and trying to set their TVs up? Absolutely, as they should. Yeah, be. <laughs> without a doubt. I go on there and I'm like, I can fix this. this looks this looks awful. Why I don't you know the first time I remember watching one of these things with the the smooth motion turned on and I'm like why is Robert De Niro so bad in Raging Bull now? He used to be really good at this and now he sucks. What's going on? And it's just, this is weird. I'm like, oh, it's, I mean, I knew what the problem was. It's set up like a soap opera and it just, it, it's weird. It makes acting worse to me. And I know other people probably don't see it that sort of a life and death situation, but it just kills me how that stuff's set up. So, yeah, you know, but people will be watching this stuff on a phone, hopefully, hopefully. So, at least I didn't make a crazy blockbuster with a billion dollars put into CG and then everyone's watching it on a postage stamp. That would maybe be even worse. <laughs> well, that, that's somewhat the good thing about comedy, I guess, that it, it translates um, in a number of different ways. Uh, and um, even through the audio, uh, you might manage to get someone's interest whilst they're scrolling through Facebook or whatever whilst watching it on the worst case scenario you might um, just pique their interest a little bit and and get their attention. I think, uh, I mean, I was watching the the trailer and like I said before, uh, was laughing out loud. So, I th I think it it will 
uh, pull people away from their other devices and make people watch, <laughs> um, kind of fully watch the film. I think mm. it's uh, it it seems good enough to me like that, and I'll definitely be tuning in. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. I mean, that's if you can get a few jokes in there and get people to laugh, then that's really all we're going for. Um, in terms of hooking them in the first place, it would be hard if you had a movie that was like 99% of the sort of appeal of it was visual and you're trying to market today. That'd be a really tough thing. And then it, you're also competing against, you know, the, the marvels of the world and the, the huge production companies in the world that can do that. They have more money. They can do that stuff better than you can. What I think, what, what I love about this process and about comedy specifically is like, you can have a billion dollars and it doesn't make something funnier there is no direct correlation between those things. And I actually think it's probably an inverse correlation in most cases, which is the opposite of say an action movie or a sci-fi epic or something like that. The more money you have, the better it's going to be probably, or at least the more opportunity you have to be better if the story is there. Comedy is not like that. So in my opinion, the people that ended up being in this movie, like I wouldn't trade them for any other actors in the world. Like, I think that they did the best job. If I could hire every other actor that anyone's seen in the comedies that sort of run the Hollywood machine of that stuff, I wouldn't do it. The people I, that, that are in this movie, I think, are better than those people would be at those specific roles. So, and they were written for them. I mean, that's part of it too. But like, I'm just uh, enormously grateful to have that sort of situation and, and feel like like this isn't the poor man's version of something. Like, this is the thing that it's supposed to be at least in terms of, you know, what we got out of the comedy of those people and the lines that they came up with on set and the improv and all that sort of stuff. I, I like, I stand by that. So that's, that makes me very happy when I'm watching it. Um, my, my personal uh, performance in the movie, notwithstanding, I'm sure there's plenty of people that could have done a better job than me. But um, aside from that, I, don't know, I like it. I think, uh, well, when I was at uni, uh, some of the first films that I made um, were, uh, were comedies, and I just remember making them on the the worst cameras out there, the the cameras that they give you, kind of in the in the first year. Um, that yeah, they they they're willing to trust you with, and probably for good reason as well, because <laughs> we, we weren't very good with them. But but um, you've just made me think like now uh, now you there's too much looking for um, making sure that you've got the best quality camera and and making sure that you're uh, getting all of the data out of the sensor that that you can do and all things like that um but yeah this but is I not i still think it's funny i still think the the original ones were funny that that i did so um yeah, yeah maybe it doesn't matter <laughs> no i mean that's that's the thing is it transcends and and even some of the physical comedy or whatever can transcend language too so yeah, this is not, you know, I'm not going to say The Brick Madness is the prettiest movie you've ever seen. It certainly isn't. You know, there were days I'm talking about, I'm doing this webcam thing on a 5D and uh, 5D Mark III. And like, there was a couple of days where that would have been really great to have a 5D because we ended up, we shot 95% of it on a red or maybe somewhere around there, different versions of a red. We didn't, we had a red one and then an Epic and then um, Scarlet's like a lot of different cameras because it's, you know, whatever my friends and I basically can bring that day. And, you know, one day the night before we get a call and he's like one of the other camera operators is like, I can't be there tomorrow. We have to do this thing. And I'm like, okay, well, we're shooting it with a 7D. Like this is a big day. We get a lot of people there. There's nothing else we can do. So, you know, I'm intercutting some Canon 7D footage, which if anyone knows like sort of the history of this stuff, like that's not something I wanted to intercut with an epic if I didn't have to, but there we are, and that's what's in the movie. And you know, we had to get it done, so we did it. And I think, hopefully, I did a good enough job of sort of fixing the color on that sort of situation because I was the colorist as well. But um, you know, there's things that I wish were a little prettier, but I, you know, what difference does that make to how funny it is? In most situations, I don't think it does. So we did the best we could in that situation. But I don't think the comedy ever suffered, and that's all that really matters. Yeah. There, or the story. Were there any? Yeah, I agree. Were there, were there any um, hoops to jump through uh, with getting it onto Amazon in terms of the the quality of your footage? Uh, because I think that's becoming a bigger thing that that especially Netflix have their yeah um, cameras that that they say that you can use and everything. 
Yeah, because we're 1080 and maybe because it's a documentary in, in nature, you know, and it's not a documentary, but maybe that helps a little bit. We haven't, it's been smooth sailing so far. I think if you're trying to get an original thing on Netflix that is a narrative, you definitely have to have all the 4K and you have to, you know, there's a number of specifications you have to live up to. Um, and we weren't in a position to do that anyway. You know, granted, I thought this was going to be out seven, eight years ago. So um, none of that stuff was even on the horizon yet. And we were using the resolution to be able to punch in and get two shots out of the same shot a lot of times. So that sort of thing just like was built into the approach to where having everything be a pristine 4K file output ready to go. You know, I mean, like I said, the 7D doesn't even shoot 4K. So like, what are you going to do? Um, things, that stuff changes so rapidly. And it's such a different world that we live in now in terms of technology that, um, you know, I think anything that was done five years before becomes a relic in one way or another. Um, at least that's what Netflix is kind of saying. You know, there's, there's plenty of fantastic films shot 10 years ago that, technically don't have a right to be on Netflix, you know, which is crazy. Um, you know, some of uh, Fincher's maybe, so if you want to take, uh, what was it? Uh, Benjamin Button wouldn't, um, Zodiac wouldn't, you know, those were shot on 10, 1080 cameras. Um, none of the original Star or not original, none of the reboot Star Wars would have been able to do it. Those are all shot on 1080. So it's like that stuff wouldn't exist on Netflix today. Um, so yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird time we are in uh, technologically speaking. Yeah, I I think it's uh yeah, we it will be interesting to see uh w- like whether maybe the next thing that you work on or the the next thing that we work on if we try and get something towards Netflix um if that will impact on all those kind of things because like uh if you're intending it to go on Netflix you there's a fairly high uh like barrier to uh, or cost to entry now so yeah. um i don't know whether uh maybe more more um smaller budget films will end up going the direction of amazon if they become the the kind of the uh place that's a bit um more forgiving to to just films that have good ideas but but maybe couldn't afford a a, a big expensive camera <laughs> yeah or in my case they were just made before you know, yeah. with, with certain considerations done for that reason. I mean, I'd, I'd certainly, you know, obviously I'm biased, but I don't think that's a reason to disqualify something. I get where Netflix is coming from. I'm not complaining about that. You know, we didn't get on Netflix because Netflix does what they do and they have their own sort of internal stuff that most of the funding is coming from that for most of their stuff. And they're just looking for different things. So, um, you know, I'm certainly not sore about that. It would have been great. And we tried, but, um, you know, so you get on Amazon and you give people the opportunity to decide for themselves whether that matters within the scope of a project like this or not. And I would say that 99% of people don't give a damn at all, you know, about that stuff. Are they funny? Do they like, is it funny? Do they like the characters? Did it have a fun, happy ending of some sort? You know, did things work out the way that they wanted to? And did they feel like it was worth their 10, 15 bucks, whatever they do? or, you know, waited and then they streamed it for free, maybe eventually. Um, and I would say that, yeah, I hopefully, hopefully people feel that way about the movie and, uh, that's all I can offer really. Yeah. Well, hopefully there's a place, I think uh, there should be a place for, for projects of all different, uh, scales and shapes and sizes, um, within the streaming world. Hopefully that's the case in the future. Um, have you uh, got anything else that you're working on in the future? What What's coming up for you after uh, you get this this out? Yeah, so the next big thing, which is shortly thereafter, is a documentary that we've been making for the last couple of years. It's called Better, and it's about um, eating, living, thinking, eating, thinking, living better. And it's primarily about um, diabetes, so diabetes and obesity and how much of a scourge of the the whole Americas that is and and how that's affecting us and the population. I mean, it's the number one epidemic we've ever faced. I mean, sort of even notwithstanding coronavirus is, you know, people are dying of that. They're being fed terrible information from the government and from, you know, pop culture, just our, our mutual understanding of what foods are good to eat and, and how to live a healthy lifestyle in terms of that. And so, we talked to five Harvard doctors. We talked to 25 people who'd been on these journeys and 
and tried to identify, not, not identify what the best foods were. I mean, we, we had done a lot of that. Um, that foundation was already there for our understanding of it, but, um, just hearing their stories and, and understanding sort of the nuts and bolts of that situation. So that's coming out in January. That's going to be a big deal. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that changing lives in an entirely different way than brick madness would. That's not as funny. Brick madness <laughs> is definitely funnier than better. So I got that going for me, but um, well, yeah, that's it. That's an important project. You you've got both. Then you've got the serious <laughs> documentary and then the mockumentary. Uh, yes. where, where's the documentary coming out? Um, that will be on streaming stuff as well. And that'll be mainly iTunes is our first push. And then we'll be on Amazon and then we'll be on, you know, the 50 other miscellaneous ways you can get movies these days. Yeah. And selling DVDs and everything that goes, um, it's part of, um, it's a project through sanesolution.com, which is, um, a thing started by Jonathan Baylor and some other people. And he's the sort of key to these the linchpin of the movies, a uh, New York best time selling author and all that. And so, you know, he was the one I was working with the whole time to bring this to bear, to have it be important in, in the world and in people's lives, hopefully. Um, but yeah, January be available ever better movie.com. And then brick madness is brick madness.com or brick madness movie.com. Um, that's the way to get involved in all that stuff and, and hopefully get a chance to watch it. Excellent. Yeah, uh, do you have awesome. uh, any social media yourself that you want to kind of promote other than uh, those? You can hit me up on at Justin makes movies on um, Instagram. That's I'm on there a bit of the time more on Facebook and all that. You can look me up Justin McAleese. I'm pretty much the only one in the world as far as I can tell um, with my actual spelling of my last name. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's that. And then, yeah, if you are um, a quick shout out, uh, if you are a video production professional, uh, especially in the States and you want to get hired by production companies and get your name out there and get referrals for what you do, then we have a, a website called shoots.video. That's shoots.video. Um, and that is a great place to go put your reel, put your put your experience, put your gear, that sort of stuff. That's how we hire as a video production video production company. And that's how other video production companies and uh, agencies are hiring. Um, so that's another thing we're working on. Yeah. Awesome. Busy. Well, wow. what's the yep. projects on go? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fantastic. No, it's great to see. Uh, really good to see. Sorry, I, I haven't said that much, but I've just been fascinated listening to the uh, conversation that you two have been having. It's, um, uh, yeah, a uh, really nice um, to dip into the technical side of things and really insightful. I, I, I personally, it's not within my skill set to consider the, but the um, as you say, the darkness in, in horror movies, for example, it just, uh, but I think it emphasizes the point that for most viewers, who maybe are just there for the story or the comedy aspects they just they they don't um they don't see it but it, it is a crucial part of the process and i think as you quite rightly pointed out it is a, a loss that we are facing today in the um in the era of streaming but um as people it's like give and take that, yeah i mean yeah. we have more access which is great and we have more access exactly. to stuff that's exactly. hobbled yeah. but you know this is what it is it is what it and is. we have to be the, be the ones that care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Somebody has to care, the, yeah. the people screaming in the dark at something that no one gives a damn about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the Screaming at not, not the monster. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much, uh, Justin. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Um, and all the best with Brick Madness. Um, I can't wait to watch it. I think the same for you, Adam. Um, the, the trailer hooked us instantly, so we are very excited. Um, so keep us informed, and we'll then share that information out to everyone else. So thank you very much. I'm yeah, very grateful to be on the show. Yeah, I'm so glad you guys dug the trailer and, and uh, wanted to get me on here. And yeah, let me let me talk about it a little bit because it's something that's near and dear to my heart. Obviously, I've spent more time on that than just about anything in my life. It's like a half of my adult life was spent on that movie. So here we go. Uh, and what's next? Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. Switching, switching things. Oh, it's awesome. Um, great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, really good to speak to you. Okay. So that was our interview with Justin McAleese uh, talking about his film Brick Madness and his experiences with it. Um, really enjoyed that. As I said in the introduction, really, really nice little bits of information, which... I think make his experience really educational, let's put it that way. Um, and I was just 
really enthralled when listening to you two speak about certain things. So, yeah, I, I really like that one. Um, and we're looking forward to actually uh, seeing the film as well when it, yeah, when it gets onto Amazon. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that'll be really cool. Um, and I actually love Lego. I don't know if that came across <laughs> enough. Maybe it didn't. Um, I really like it. Um, I've, I've never got into the same kind of things as uh, shown in the film but I have a very fond appreciation of it and that kind of creative level so and I, and I love the kind of um, the way that it's been portrayed by Justin so uh, yeah really excited um, we are looking for more guests and we have been approached by people like Justin um, and been th thoroughly astounded and surprised by the amount of um, really good bits of information that people can provide us about filmmaking from massively different walks of life and experiences and uh, locations as well. Um, so if you are interested, um, please get in contact with us. Um, we'll give you a few more details in a second, but yes, get in contact with us. Uh, we'd have to love to have a chat with you. Um, you can get through to us on matchmaker.fm or you can contact us on podcast. Um, at whitedeerfest.co.uk all the details are on our other web on our main website which is www.whitedeerfest.co.uk um, and we've got all the social medias as we well got all the social Instagram, medias. exactly yeah facebook yeah um we do have twitter we don't use it as much at the minute but we do have it you can contact us on there but probably facebook and instagram are the best ones even if you just want to just want to raise a, a comment or a point or just want to say hi um to get in touch with us and discuss anything then that would be really good we are looking for for more community feedback and interaction um just to see if you know the guests that we have on um have inspired you in any way um and if you if you have a question that we may, may we maybe didn't ask we would love to feed that on to the people that we talk to yeah anything else from you adam uh no other than just um check out all of Justin's stuff uh, yes. on the links um, in uh, the description uh, and on our website. So yeah. um, that's all good stuff. Uh, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.